Father, you truly are good. And I pray as we mark this Lent season as a church that our hearts would be humble before you. I pray, Lord, that we would believe that these dry bones can live. Would you renew us? And would on Resurrection Sunday we be able to testify to things that we as a church have not seen or experienced before by the power of your might? In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. The story is told of a young politician who for eight months straight was grinding. He wanted to become governor of his state. He really didn't have a chance. But on that night of election, he ended up winning the election to become governor of the state. His grassroots movement, his civility, his ability to bring unity across the state piqued the interest of many. And on that night, to his surprise, he was affirmed by the state, you are who we choose. We are fully pleased with you. But after that election night, he felt himself being tired and he wanted to make sure that he would mark the season correctly. So he went away and he went to the woods. And while he was in the woods, as he heard himself think for the first time in months, a strange voice creeped in. The voice started saying things to him like, man, how amazing is this? You won. For the first time in your life, you actually will have money. What if you use this opportunity to kind of corner the market, to take advantage of this situation so that in the future, if you only have one election, you can set yourself up for life? Then the voice said to him, oh, my goodness, you are famous. Everybody in the state is going to know your name. What if you get a call from Good Morning America? What if you get to meet Oprah? And then the voice said, that reporter, the reporter activist who likes getting on your nerves, this is your opportunity to squash them. You can make life very difficult. After all, you are the most important person in the state. And as he left the woods, he was faced with a question and he was faced with a reality. How will he use his position? Will he use it to serve others or will he use it to exploit others and serve himself? In Matthew chapter four, we read about the temptation of Jesus. And in verse one, it says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In Matthew chapter three, if you're reading Matthew closely, you see that Jesus has just been affirmed by God at the baptism of John the Baptist. God publicly affirms him in front of everyone who was there in the wilderness. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am fully pleased, fully pleased. Jesus was entering into his public ministry, and he entered into his public ministry with a resounding 
approval and public applause from God the Father. And now in Matthew, Matthew is going to show us that Jesus, as he starts his ministry, is going to be tempted by the devil. But the text says that the spirit drove him into the wilderness to do so. As we start Lent and as we begin this process, I simply want to put before you two things as a church. The first is I want to remind you that spiritual warfare is real. And the second, I want to remind you that Jesus has conquered and triumphed over every realm. If we are going to be effective as a church, and if we're going to have a season of Lent that is marked by renewal and repentance and maturity and beauty and truth and goodness, we have to understand that spiritual warfare is real. Jesus, the text says, first we'll look at how spiritual warfare is real, is led by the spirit to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, according to James chapter 1, verse 3 through 13 through 15, we know that the Bible says that God is not evil and there's no evil in him and that he cannot tempt anyone with evil. But God does allow us to be tested. And the spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. Here in the text, we see the term devil used six times or Satan spoken of six times, four times devil, once as the tempter in verse 3. And then once as Satan in verse 10. And Satan and the devil means the same thing. It means adversary. And Jesus is driven into the wilderness where he is going to face the devil. Now there's four things about the devil I want you to see in this text. Four things you ought to know about your enemy and his demons and his imps. The first is that the devil is strategic. Even as you set your heart in these 40 days on Jesus to prepare for Resurrection Sunday and cry out to God for renewal, you have to know that Satan is strategic. In this text, we learn as we look at the reality of verse 2, it says, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, that he, speaking of Jesus, he was hungry. And Satan's first temptation is for him to turn stones into bread. Satan is watching. He is keenly aware of you, how you're doing, where you're at spiritually, where you're at emotionally. And he is waiting for the opportunity to discourage you, to make you fall and to embarrass you. And Satan often tempts and tries his hardest, most strategic moves when we are entering into new seasons of our life. It's interesting that this is the first mention of Satan or the devil in the gospel of Matthew. And Jesus is going into a new season. It's interesting that Adam and Eve don't meet Satan in the garden until they go into a new season of marriage. And the same is true as you. Anytime you mark a season or set a time apart to be for the Lord or to do his will, Satan is going to tempt you. But not only is he strategic, we the part of his strategy is he's very, he's very observant. He's hungry. Two, Satan adapts. We're going to see in this text that after Satan comes to Jesus the first time and tempts him with bread, and Jesus meets his temptation with the word of God, that the second temptation, Satan is going to start it off with the word of God. And he's going to quote Psalm 91. 
He watches us and he's looking and he's observing and he adapts to us. He says, Jesus, you want to come at me with scripture? I know scripture. Let me tell you what it says. Not only is he strategic, not only does he adapt, but we also see in this text that he is persistent. Satan comes to Jesus three times. It's not just one good time where Jesus uh, leans into the spirit and is able to rebuke Satan, but three separate times he comes. And then in Luke's gospel, it says that after Jesus defeated Satan, those three times that Satan came back later when the time was more opportune. Fourth, we see that Satan is an angel. A lot of times when we read the scripture and we think about Satan, we think about perhaps God and Satan being rivals and being on the same level. But even as we talk about spiritual warfare, some of you may be afraid of spiritual warfare and and kind of close that whole reality of a spiritual world out of your mind. I want you to know that Satan is not God. He is not on Jesus level. He is a fallen angel. He's a created being. And that's why we see Jesus triumphing over him. Satan comes and he tempts Jesus in three ways. The first way is to provide for himself. In verse three, it says the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And that word if can also be translated of since. Since you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And underneath this temptation is this reality. Jesus has just been affirmed as God's holy, divine son, the Messiah. Satan knows that. And essentially he's come to Jesus saying, since you are God's son, you should not have to go hungry. God should meet your basic needs. So you should provide for yourself. And even this Lent, this is a temptation for some of us in our hearts to provide for ourselves outside of the will of God. And it may be to provide for ourselves things that we actually need but that God has not provided in his sovereignty for us. And the question is, will we trust that we are sons and daughters of God and that God will provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory in due season or give us the strength to persevere or will we provide for ourselves? Will we smudge the numbers? Will we keep the, the tithe? Will we do some side work? That's illegal to make it. Second, temptation is not only to provide for himself, but it's to prove himself. We see in the second temptation that the Bible says, then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will give angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Here Satan quotes Psalm 91. And actually uh, does it pretty fairly, only that he leaves out a verse that comes two uh, verses later, where it talks about um, a serpent being triumphed by the coming Messiah. (laughs) But what is Satan doing here? He's essentially saying, Jesus, prove yourself. If you are the son of God, the Bible says that you will not be hurt because angels will come to your rescue. If God really loves you, show this to be true. Test him to see if he is for you. After all, he hasn't given you bread. And perhaps he takes him to the temple in order for him to do a public spectacle to prematurely receive the praise of people and to do a miracle that God has not ordained. 
And perhaps a good question for all of us in this season is to think about how are we trying to prove ourselves outside of God's will? Third temptation. It says, and again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. And so Satan is desperate now. He comes two times and two temptations. Jesus smacks him down with God's word. He holds fast. And now he says, listen, this is what I really want. I want you to worship me. And his third temptation is not just to provide for himself or to prove himself, but to prematurely promote himself. See, Satan knows that if Jesus is the Messiah, as he is reading the Old Testament, then this Messiah will be a suffering Messiah. And he's saying, listen, I will give you a crown without a cross. Your father calls you son, but he is calling you sufferer. I'll give you everything you want in this lifetime and more. Take the promotion. Don't go through suffering. Lent is an invitation for us to be vulnerable. It's an invitation for us to remind ourselves that we are sons of God and not orphans. It's a reminder that I need often, and it's a reminder that I'm going to be praying in the spirit that the Lord will help me to see the son's triumph. See, in this text, as Matthew is writing, we see that Jesus is the second Adam. Adam was put in a paradise, in a, in a garden. Adam was given a wife. Adam could eat off of every single tree. And when the serpent came, Adam failed. Jesus was not in a paradise, but he was in the wilderness. He could not eat of trees, but rather he was surrounded, as Luke Gospel says, by, uh, by wild animals, Mark's Gospel. And wild beast. He was not with Eve. He was alone. And he could not eat of any trees. He was left to fast. And yet Jesus did not sin. Jesus is not only the new and better Adam, but Jesus is the new and better Israel. A major picture that we see in this text is that Jesus is intentionally quoting from the book of Deuteronomy every time Satan comes to him. When Satan tempts him with bread, he says, it is written, man must not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 as Moses is meditating on the fact that God gave manna to Israel in the wilderness and he provided for his people after testing whether or not they would trust him at his promises. Jesus is saying, I am not like Israel who was supposed to be in a wilderness for 40 days, but ended up being there for 40 years because they did not trust in God's word. I am standing on God's word. My heavenly father will provide me for what I need. And what I need more than food is his presence. And to know that he loves me and that he is faithful. He also quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God as he is on uh, in this as high place. And Satan is testing him. He sees through what Satan is doing. As Satan is tempting him, he's trying to get him to test God. But God also told Israel, do not test test me. Do not put me in situations where I have to line up with your will. You are here for me. I am not here for you. And then he quotes it again. Go away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him 
and serve him only. It's two quick applications as we get ready to leave and as we go into this Lent season. And it's very simple. It's very basic, but I believe it's, it's transformative. And the first is to see that God's word is the most effective tool for fighting Satan. I'm going to say that again. Six o'clock. God's word is the most effective tool for fighting the lies of Satan. David said, Psalm 119, verse 10, I have hidden thy word in my heart so that I will not sin against thee. Hebrews 4 and 12, the word of God is, is like a double-edged sword. He said it's powerful and it is effective. Jeremiah says, Lord, your word is like honey. God's word is the most effective measure to fight against Satan. But we don't just need to know God's word. We have to receive it, believe it, trust it, and recite it back to the enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 says that the word is the sword of the spirits. How many of us, when Satan tempts us with lies and those voices come to mind, are remunerating on it, rehearsing those lies, or actually, because we have stored up the truths of God's word, speaking to Satan, saying, get behind me. And James says, if you resist the devil, he will flee. But second, it's not only just receiving, believing, treasuring and speaking God's word important, but prayer is important. Prayer is important. Jesus is away in the wilderness and often in the gospels when we see him away, he is praying. In Matthew chapter six, he's going to tell the disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation. A few chapters later, as he sets his face to the cross, he is met by Satan again in the Garden of, in the garden of Gethsemane. And we find him praying and through prayer and wrestling with the Lord and seeking his face. He comes to a resolution and he is resolute. Not my will, but your will be done. So what does it look like? this season for you to recognize that, yes, spiritual warfare is real and that the battle that you are fighting is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers in high places, that you have a real enemy who wants to deceive you, distract you and to take you down. But two, what does it look like for you to come back to the basics and to remember that the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but they are powerful to the pulling down of strongholds and to remember to put on your helmet of salvation, a helmet that says you are God's beloved in whom, because you are in Christ, no matter how you feel, no matter what happened yesterday or yesteryear, you are in his sight fully pleasing. Every Ash Wednesday, we start this service in order to just consecrate ourselves before the Lord, to ask the Lord to, to lead us to repentance for trying to selfishly prove ourselves, promote ourselves, provide for ourselves. 
and to do like Jesus did in the wilderness and to trust that our heavenly father loves us and he will provide for us to consider the lilies of the field. So we're going to have a season, a time of where we mark Lent by taking the imposition of ashes. Those of you who are in the front, um, you can come to the front. We'll have two stations. Each person will line up and a person will put the ashes on your forehead and remind you that we all soon will die and that we're all a vapor. And may while we have this time on earth, may we dedicate ourselves to doing the Father's will. We also have a station in the back. Let's continue to worship. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Soldier in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.